Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Hello there, my friend. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest is legendary MTT Reaper of Souls, Mark Dipthrong Herm. Mark has been on my radar as a force in the poker world for a very, very long time, like 2007 absolute poker long. Back in those days, I was grinding away at cash game tables, but allowed myself to take some shots here and there at some of the $200 to $1,000 MTTs on Absolute for fun, and I specifically remember being aware of Dipthrong in every single tournament that I played. The fact that he's still doing extraordinary things in the world of poker all these years later does not surprise me one bit. What was very surprising to me was just how alike Mark and I are. We're about the same age, we've been playing cards for about the same amount of time, and we both lean towards the intuitive side of poker more so than the analytical side. I'm also extremely grateful that he's a genuinely open dude who isn't afraid of discussing some of the more taboo areas of the poker lifestyle, like struggling with mental health and Adderall. In today's episode, you're also going to learn why Mark bashes GTO every chance he gets how Elliot Rowe has been especially impactful in Mark's career, why Mark only plays on Sundays, and much, much more. And before you dive into today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that this interview is brought to you by PokerWithPresence.com. If you want to get in the zone and play your best when you need it the most, visit PokerWithPresence.com. And now, without any further ado... It is my absolute delight and pleasure to bring to you a man with a face way too handsome for the world of podcasting, the legendary Mark Herm. Mark, good afternoon, sir. How you doing? Good afternoon. I'm great. Um, I just got a, a workout and a meditate and a walk-in. I'm a big fan of walking outside. It's the shit and sitting in the sun. Why do you like walking outside? Uh, I just, I actually just started during this like COVID thing. I never used to do it ever. Uh, oh no, actually I had, I had this massive fitness bet. I guess it wasn't, I won, I won 25 K in this bet to get from, I, I went from 23% to 9% body fat. And I, I must confess, I think that the scale that I use was like the scale at the gym that weighed your, or that checked your body fat percentage. And I think that it was fucked up and I don't think I was ever close to 9%. But I, I, I got into um, fasted cardio, and a lot of it was after I would lift weights, I would go for long walks. Um, and I just realized that it just, like, put me in a way better fucking mood. I don't, I don't know if it's, like, being in nature or, or what, but, yeah, I'm, like, all about it now. Yeah, I think, our, I think our spirits need the outdoors, to smell the outdoors and feel the sunlight on our skin. We, we're attracted to nature as human beings we're attracted to the ocean right like the ocean to me just sitting in front of it 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 calms me down and it's like a powerful force that i can't really understand but i just know that like going to the beach is very therapeutic for me 
Yeah, it's weird. I never even really felt like that before, though, honestly. Before this experience, I never, like, I, you know, as a kid, I like going to the beach and shit, but I kind of, I feel like I kind of just figured this out recently, just, just from sheer, like, doing it and feeling better. And, like, it, like, it wasn't, you know, it's not something that I'm thinking about, like, you know, people, like, think about, like, I'm going to meditate and become, like, it wasn't like that at all. I literally just, I personally just discovered it. But, yeah, you're right. It's fucking, there's something weird going on. It's bizarre. Yeah, and uh, that's the best kind of meditation. That's the best kind of working out when you just do it because yeah. you want to do it and you feel compelled to do it. That's when it's the most valuable, right? Not when it's like an obligation. I mean, we're poker players, and as poker players, I think it's like part of our code that we're resistant to anything that tells us what to do. At least maybe I'm projecting onto you, but that's how I feel. Like For somebody sure. tells me I, what I, to do, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do that thing already. Yeah, for sure. I'm the, I'm the same way, for sure. How I think you, I think what you said is a good like metaphor to life too. Like like okay, so that's the best that's the best that's the best kind of working out, the working out that you like to do. And I think that about like everything. Like I think like I don't I don't believe I don't believe in like I got to do something that I really dislike to get to this place. I don't I don't I don't believe I don't subscribe to that really much at all. At all. And I want to clarify though that there are hard things, right? Like there are hard things that we want to do that when we're doing them don't always feel great. It's not just always about feeling like, you know, the pleasure, but there's this feeling of gratification when you accomplish something that's hard, that just took you to the brink and made you realize that you're a stronger human than you even thought before. Like those are the kind of things too, that are just ultra valuable in my life experience. hundred percent. Yeah. And how old are you, Mark? 35. 35. So you're 35. I'm 36. I know that you've been playing cards for a long time because Mm -hmm. I remember back in my absolute poker days, I can't even remember my screen name on absolute poker, but I know that dip throng was in the streets battling, um, imperious, another battler in the streets or Mizzy from those days. Tell me, How'd you get into this world of playing cards? I have, a, I actually have a crazy story that I've never publicly said to anyone. I don't know why. I don't, I think I forgot, forgot about it, but like, it's kind of, it's kind of a brag. It's like my like bankroll, like history of my life. I deposited ten dollars $10 on ultimate bet and never went broke from that. Like I just went, for, I just went straight up or like, you know what I'm saying? Like I never, I never came close to going broke once. Ever, which I don't really, I haven't really talked to that many people in poker that had like similar experiences, maybe a few, but, um, but yeah, that's my brag. That's my brag story. But I got, I got into it kind of like everyone did at the time. I just watched it on TV. I watched Moneymaker. I played, um, five cent limit poker heads up against my dad during the time. And I like noticed certain, I started to notice certain patterns in his game. He was like, he's like horrendous at poker. Like one of the worst poker players that you've ever met. And, but he would all, and he never was, he was very passive. But I, all, but I picked up on very quickly that he would try to rep paired boards, like always, like it was his thing. And I never told him that, like I knew that he would do it. And I would like three bet on flops, like that, uh, as it started. But, um, but yeah, I, I got into it. I got into it like that. I actually started playing Limit Hold'em. The first, my first book that I read was David Sklansky's like Limit Hold'em or like, and the theory of poker, like really dense, like. Hold them for advanced players, right? Like, that, that, that was the first one. That, yeah. Exactly. That was the first Me too. Me too. I went Dude, to the. Me and I, you are so, very similar. Yeah, what? I went to Books a Million, and I was like, "Which book is for me? Hold them for advanced." Yeah, I've never played yeah. this game, but I, I think I'm advanced already. Let's get this one. 
Yeah, yeah, fucking crazy, right? So like, so I started off as like a nit because like they just advocate, you know, you fold a stem suited under the gun, like just is. Um, and then I met this kid who I was roommates with for a while, who actually was like bipolar and like ended up going like insane kind of, and is like kind of a train wreck of a person to be honest. Um, but he he kind of uh, taught me to be aggressive, and me and him at the time were playing on absolute. We started playing on absolute poker, and we wanted to try to win the sit and go leaderboard. And like, we kind of, we just played a lot of poker together and like we're boys and roommates and whatever. And he, and he taught me to be aggressive a bit. And then I met um, DJK who played on absolute too. And he really, he was ahead of his time. He had like tournaments, like figured the fuck out. Like he figured out like the, you know, the, the, the blind versus blind shoving and that shit, like before anyone else did. And like, and honestly, like three betting light, I, I don't really think people really did it. This is like 2005 or 2006. I don't think people really did it. And I, he taught me like the basics. And then I think I kind of just ran from it with, from there. And then like, and then, so I got, I started playing limit hold'em. Then it was sit and goes. And then I met DJK and then MTTs, which I was terrible at at first. And I remember like I had won like $200,000 in poker before having like a $1,500 score or something like that, just cause I was like grinding <laughs> like $30 sit and goes, you know, like just being a, like, and I'm a massive nit. And then I, then I started to have some success in MTTs in like 2006. Um, and then kind of, I, I feel like I've kind of always done pretty well since then. It's interesting, the parallels. So firstly, when you're talking about your dad playing against your dad and he's the worst poker player ever, a thing that I think about a lot is that good players know how bad players play better than the bad players themselves know how they play. Like we know exactly what they're thinking and exactly what they're going to do. And we see their exact patterns and we know their game in a way that's better than they know their game themselves. And there's another, there's a parallel from, you know, your $10 deposit. Like my one deposit on party poker was like 75 bucks. And my journey was different than yours in that it was very calculated. Uh, I had a friend who, as it turns out, is kind of uh, bipolar and a mess of a human being. And I, I don't know where he's going right now or where he's at right now. But in the beginning, he's very, you know, if you go through a manic s- stage of your existence, like he's very strategic, very intelligent, very smart, very curious. Right. And we okay. pushed each other. And I saved up 3K, moved to Florida um, with the goal, the aim of being a professional poker player. This is like 2004 when like nobody even knew that professional poker player was a thing. And I deposited 75 bucks on party poker, arbitrarily decided, yo, I'm going to play 510 limit shorthanded. So like <laughs> I ran it up to like 300 bucks and I was like, oh, cool. Now we're going to go to 1020. That, so like one night go from 75 to like a dime. And then once I have a dime, I'm like, oh, what do I do with it? I'm just going to play a 200. So I just like buy in straight to like the nightly 200s on party which were like 200k guarantees and get like fourth. And then all of a sudden within like, wait, wait, you got fourth the first night that you played like deposited or not. It may not have been the first night, but it was within the first like four days. Wow. That's amazing. That's, it was that's like, like a, that's like a bad way to start a career, man. That's that. I mean, obviously it turned out great, fine for you, but that it seems like the worst way. It know? could be in different yeah. circumstances. It, I think yeah. if I were a different human, it could have been a lot worse, but yeah, 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 for sure. my nature, despite that, uh, experience that i just went through i did have a bankroll of like you know whatever five or six k so i could redeposit on party right if i busted out my you know my 15 30 shorthanded roll of 700 bucks but uh yeah that was kind of how it started for me and that was like 
I'm still living on that initial $75 deposit that I made back in probably 2004. That's wow. That's that. That is amazing. Can I can I actually ask you a question? Because this this is something that I've seen around on Twitter, and it kind of irked me, and I'm not really sure why. But I see people. I think Pads said it, and I'm, I actually don't like this person. I do, I do not like Pads. I'm not a fan of his. I don't um, know him. He's very well known. He's a very he's a great poker player, and I say this about very few people. He is a very great. You know, he, he's, he's, the man. he's very good at poker for sure. It hasn't figured out like whatever. I just don't fucking trust him. I, I, I don't, I think there's something wrong with him, but anyway, he, he was saying, and a lot of people say this, that like anyone that's still a poker pro after, you know, 10 years or something like that, we got really lucky in our careers to still be in the game. And I just like, couldn't disagree with that anymore. Like, I don't believe in that whatsoever. And I don't think I'm being like ungrateful or like egoy really when i say that i just that just is not my reality i don't fucking believe that at all i think you make i think you make your fucking reality but but i don't know i talk to other people that are very smart and good players and they disagree with me so i don't know what do, uh, what do you what's your- i agree with you and it irks me too here's the thing that gets said that irks me is like what if you just stumbled on the right strategy to use in the right game and that's sort of what led to success in the beginning, right? Like maybe yeah. Doyle was just an aggressive player at a time when people weren't aggressive enough. And that's sort of what led him to success, sort of like by luck or happenstance. That It drives me nuts. I don't like that because it devalues the energy that these human beings have put into this fucking game. Like if I, if I would not have invested my energy after I hit for like 15K on party, I would have just snapped went broke. So like... There is this, you know, behind all of the victories, the yearly good results that allow us to play cards for a living, there's a massive amount of work and energy. And so like, yeah, maybe we we got lucky in the beginning. Maybe I got super lucky running up that $75 roll, but I know myself, if I would have went broke, I would have found a way. Like I, I have that tenacity, that dog in me that I know if, if this didn't work out in the beginning, it would have sucked. It would have not been maybe not a fun way to go through my poker career, but I don't think I would have ever given up actually. And any of these pivotal moments where like my bankroll was on the line, as they say, I think that I still would have figured it out no matter what. I do too. And I barely Um, did. And, uh, did that answer your question? Yes, for sure. Thank you. Cool. So you make this ten dollar deposit. Why did you deposit in the first place? What was like? How old were you? Uh, so I was in college. Uh, I had no idea what I was. I, I was very depressed. By the way, I use the term bipolar. I actually, everyone in my family is bipolar, and I'm somewhere on the bipolar spectrum for sure. And sure. I know a lot about the um, mental health stuff, and I could talk about that. But like, I'm not trying to put people down that have mental issues. I think no, it's like, like the, the problem. So here's the. We ought to have so much compassion for mental illness. It's like a physical thing, but you can't see it. There's no awareness of it. It's just happening in the mind. And like, you know, I love the guy that I came up playing poker with. I love him as a human being. He was instrumental and really the catalyst behind my entire poker career. So I'm extremely grateful for that. There are just some demons that wreck and ruin friendships over the course of time that like, at some point, I just said, like, I love this human, and I, I wish nothing but the best for him, and I wish he could be in my life today and be my best friend, but that's just not yeah. possible because yeah. of, you know, because of mental illness. Yeah, that's the path. I get it. Um, 
Yeah, uh, so I, I was very depressed as a kid. Um, and, and my take on it is because like, I kind of was just forced to do a lot of bullshit that, you know, wasn't like relevant. Like, like this, the stuff that I was learning in school did not fit my brain at all, in my opinion. And I'm not like, like bashing anyone. I just think that that's, this is what happened. Uh, yeah. I, I hated having to like wake up early and like follow any rules whatsoever and like not talk at certain moments. And like, I just, I just did not thrive in that environment. All extremely depressed in high school and extremely socially fucked up. Like, like very, very not extremely anxious, very not confident at all. Could have like no interaction with females, had limited interaction with men. That was like really great. I, I was like kind of okay because I played football, but I was like, just like a really fucked up kid, man. Like the more, the more I'm getting old, the, the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing how fucked up I was as a kid. Um, when you say depressed in high school, like, what does that look like? What does that mean? Like never, so never, never suicidal ever in my life. Um, just like there was no enjoyment in any part of my life. Like I would, I would remember, I would like be counting the days to like when high school was over. Cause then I, I thought I would get some relief cause I fucking hated it so goddamn much. And I know, I don't think anyone, a lot of people dislike it, but I like mine was like, it was so intense. Like this was such an intense fucking feeling. And there was just no happiness, zero happiness. It was just all like boring ass shit, you know? Yeah. I did not love high school either. I could not wait for high school to get over with. I slept through a lot of it. It was not stimulating. It was very boring. The only thing that I liked was gym. I mean, I signed up for every gym class that I could sign up for because I just love running, catching things, using hand-eye coordination and competing. That's like a thing that just lights me up on the inside. And that was like the only thing that I enjoyed going to school for was really gym, which is kind of funny thinking back on it. Yeah, I'm, I, I actually agree. That's we're, we're very similar. Yeah, before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre-flop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what Rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I, I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post boot camp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re- really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. 
that's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. So unhappy through high school, high school ends. I'm assuming, you know, what were your thoughts on college? What were your thoughts on what you want to do with your life? So I had one passion and it was football. And I was, I'm like, not like very athletically talented or anything. I'm, I would say probably average athletic, but like I was, uh, I was a very tough kid uh, for whatever reason in football. I was, I would always like, I remember we had these, these tackling drills and I was like 135 pounds as a sophomore and there was this like 200, I want to say it was 240, but that sounds like too much. I think it was 225 kid that was, you know, a D1 athlete, massive beast, nice, nice dude. And me and him would, 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 uh, would do tackling drills against each other. And they would like chant for us to do it. Cause like, I apparently was just like, you know, I didn't give a fuck. I was just like, I was just born like, you got the dog in you. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it's, it's weird. And, um, yeah, so that was, and I, I, I just loved football, but I wasn't really that good. So I, figured I want to continue playing football. So I go and I say, okay, I'm going to play football. And I realized that I could play D- division three football at this, uh, this school is called our sinus college uh, near me in Pennsylvania. What position um, did you play? Defensive end. Okay. Defensive end, 135 or defensive end playing college ball, but I, hey, I'm getting some this, weight over time. This right? is the story. Well, this, that, that was a sophomore in high school. Okay. And, okay. Yeah. So they put me in corner. They could, they put me at cornerback and then they realized that like, I wasn't athletic. They're like, this kid is <laughs> not athletic so yeah. like dude gotta fucking gain weight and so i did i went nuts i fucking got in the weight room i i i, I got up to almost 200 wow um, and i actually went both ways i played i played center and defensive end and then i went yeah i went to college for one year played one year of of football um and did actually like the beast in me kind of came out again and i did i did pretty good uh and then i was a massive drinker uh and i got into a drunken fight which was like totally out of line by me. Like it, it was, I, I deserved to get kicked out of school for what I did. Um, I just basically attacked, I was blacked out and just basically attacked some kid for no reason. Got kicked out of school. And then I had been playing poker at the time. Um, and did you I feel made, regret about that when it happened after you attacked the kid and got kicked out of school? What were you feeling? Here, okay. I would like to say, I think when, as a teenager, I think that I was like kind of a psycho, like kind of like a, like I think, and I think a lot of teenage boys have like, like like uh, sociopathic or like, psychotic tendencies, like like just a lack of empathy. Like not like I did a lot of really fucked up shit, and I just like was not empathetic. I, I don't know that just that's how I was at the time. At the time that I feel bad, I think I felt more selfish for myself. I, I think it was more like fuck, I can't believe I did it. And I would say more the emotion I felt was more like shame, guilt. I hate myself. Fuck, I just fucked up. You know that more than anything. And I think probably on some level I felt like slightly bad, but that wasn't like consuming my thoughts or anything. So you get kicked out. What do you do next? What's the next move? I probably made like 3K in poker up until that point. I remember there was this moment where I I moved back in with my parents and my mom said, Mark, you got to get a job. And I said, well, I'm going to try to play poker for a living. 
And she's like, you can't do that. And I just remember her saying that. And I just said, and my mom is like the nuts, the fucking best mom in the world. I attribute like all of my success to her. Uh, and um, she said, you can't do this. And I said, watch me. And I, and I just like, was so confident that I fucking could. I don't know fucking why. I have no fucking idea why I was confident that I could do it. And then I kind of never looked back from there. And then I think she kind of, they kind of became like a little bit scared of me, I think, because they saw that like I was just kind of this like kid that, that I, I, I knew what I wanted and I, and I was going to take what I wanted. And, and that was that. Um, and, but they were very supportive. So I started, you know, I started grinding a bit. I would say my first year, maybe I made like trying to figure everything out. Maybe I made like 50 K and then like the year after that, I probably made like 200 K and then it was just whatever it was just, and honestly, my, my career was very, it's just very like, I never felt like anything was really difficult. That's what it felt like to me. It just felt very easy. And I was like blessed with whatever. I don't know. And I think a lot of it was from my fucking upbringing and, and my dad was a mailman and my mom didn't work. And it was three, three of us kids and they always had plenty of money and they, whatever the fuck they did with money, something about it was like magical. They were very sensible and whatever, and just rubbed off on me. And I was always like that with everything. And just, I think it helped me a ton in poker for whatever reason. Yeah. There's a natural talent there too, of like not knowing what's going on, but then like playing against your dad and just realizing what they're doing and using pattern recognition and these data points that you don't even know are data points that are like, Hmm, strategically, this seems better than this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So the the natural talent is is a factor. It's a bigger factor that I think people want to give it credit for because there is a, such a thing as a, being a naturally talented poker player. Um, I always thought I, I it's interesting you say because I always thought that I really wasn't, and that like I'm I'm best friends with Paul G's, and he's just like the the biggest savant of all time, Mensa genius, and he he just clearly is like he clears the epitome of fucking talent. Um, yeah, but the average Paul- person. <laughs> Right, the person right. isn't comparing themselves to Paul G's, right? My my take on my take on it is that in the, the current the current environment of today in poker, uh, specifically in MTTs, is closed mindedness fucking kills. And it's like most people are most people are closed minded. And I, and I kind of I, I think I've always kind of been a little bit ahead of the curve with the with that. But that that's that's my take on. It. I don't know about, about talent. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's um, it, it's funny because I have this same experience like i was working at applebee's 19 years old and like i brought super system with me to work to read like an hour before every single shift and people would ask me like childhood friends would come in sit in my section and we'd talk and they're like what are you doing you know what are you doing with your life what are you aiming for and i would just tell them like i'm gonna be a professional poker player i would like they would people would say like there's there's no skill in that like you can't make a living doing that like i remember getting super system and being like what the fuck is this? This is like 500 pages of like nothing, just fluff that means right. nothing, right? Like I like it was a personal thing for me, like the same way that your mom said, you can't do that. Like people told me I couldn't do it. Like it bounced off of me like it was nothing um, because I just kind of had an intuition that this was a path that was viable and that I was specifically constructed to be able to thrive going down this path. And I just did it relentlessly. Well, can I ask you, can I ask you another question? Why, why do you think that you were like that? Like that you were just a, a gritty motherfucker that kind of just always succeeded. Like wh- why do you, what, what, sh- uh, what shaped you into that? So I don't know the specific answer, but I can s- talk about my attributes as a human. I love puzzles. I'm intensely curious and I'm never one to just accept an answer that I'm given. 
I'm one that wants to investigate and ask why and is there a better way and why do we do things this way instead of this way and just try to find answers. And I think that like in high school, I played spades, right? This is where I met my friend. We played Yahoo spades with each other um, almost every day of the week. We discussed strategy. So that was like the first card game where I, I was in English class. I remember writing out like spade game theory. Um, just kind of doodling while the teacher was talking and like games is just something that I've always gravitated towards. And so when it came to like, oh, this is a game that I can play and make money. I just realized like, you know, I have a, like in spades, right? Maybe I had played at that point, 500 games and much better player than like people that had played 25,000 games. Right. And I just recognized that like people are playing this game, but they're not thinking about it. They're not thinking about the strategy. They're just kind of clicking buttons and whatever happens happens. And like, I love the theory, like fifth grade. I remember working out tic-tac-toe, like trying to solve tic-tac-toe just because it was like fun. So I think that curiosity in the game element is just, just appeals to my nature and poker just as, as an occupation made a lot of sense to me. Right. That's very interesting. Very different. And I, I hate, it's very, it's interesting to me that you're very into theory. Cause I, I, I'm very anti-theory. And I made like to the point of like I'm over the top anti theory, like close minded, a little bit anti theory. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by close minded anti theory? Okay, so like you know everyone's a little bit close minded, right? Sure. And I'm like I'm like so the opposite of like G- I'm like a G- the GTO basher. I'm like it, and but the thing is I'm I'm also there's a little bit of awareness behind that, and I kind of know when I'm a little bit too off the rails. But I guess there's sometimes that I'm not. Um, I just think, well, in MTTs specifically, not cash games at all. I, I totally agree with GTO in cash games. Um, you probably shouldn't, as, to be honest. <laughs> I, the thing is, I don't know. Um, this is, I'm saying this as a fish, too, because I don't know. I'm not a cash game pro. Okay? I'll tell you my thoughts on cash GTO. Not on Ignition, but go ahead. Yeah. No, I'll tell you after, you know, you tell me about your thoughts on MTTs and okay. GTO and the theory. So, so um, it just, so in MTTs, everyone's doing, everyone's balancing, and there's just absolutely no reason for it because you ne- you're never playing enough sample size with people for it to be the right method. Like no one, no one's you're, like everyone's acting like everyone has a fucking microscope on you looking at your game, knowing what you're doing blind versus blind with this range. No one fucking knows, man. We're playing 12 tables on a fucking Sunday and, and every, and it's just mayhem. You're not paying attention. Everyone has different screen names. Like it's all, it's all, it's a wild west again. No one, no one's, you're very rarely having a ton of history with someone where you really have to be balanced. So it's more just about doing what fucking works and learning experientially what the fuck works and especially and specifically how to play against bad players. Because if if you're if you're if you're playing your game to just be great against good players, then you're not playing in the right fucking games. Like I'm gonna play in games with people that suck. That's why I only play on fucking Sunday and you know I'm, I'm only playing in like certain tournaments and and whatever. That's what's fun to me. So I think all of this GTO stuff that that is going on right now is great for poker because like everyone's fucking it up um, in, in tournaments at least. And they're listening to people like they're listening to Doug Polk, who's like awesome, like and like very smart and whatever. But like he's not like a tournament specialist and like they're just like a misapplying shit. And it's it's just it's amazing. And it makes everyone play like very like face up and like actually, in my opinion, unbalanced. Oh, they play so unbalanced. GTO this dogma of GTO, I, I talk about it a lot with Nick Howard because he kind of went down the path of like, this was an anchor for him. And so he dove into the GTO cash game path harder than pretty much anybody. 
And it brought him to a point of severe suffering to the point to where he was like, this is not fucking working. Like, I need help. Like, what is happening here? This is not the answer. And my experience with GTO, ironically, was when it was presented to me as a theory, I pretty much dismissed it pretty much out of hand from the very beginning. It didn't jive well with my experience playing poker. It didn't jive well with me as like this system that could take you from like a beginner to being a crusher. And like, as time goes on and I, I, I sit in on like webinars sometimes with tournament crushers and they're, you know, breaking down these hands and they're showing these charts of all these different boards and like the size you should be betting. And like they run it in Pio, it spits out an answer and it's like, well, okay. So calling, raising and folding are all actually okay. <laughs> Some percentage of the time, right? right? Like how is somebody learning from this? Like how, like when you can justify any action at pretty much all points of the decision tree, it, how do you learn from that? First of all, and then second right. of all, human beings are emotionally driven creatures and that emotionally driven creature is inherently not going to be balanced. They're inherently not going to be random they're incentivized to play a hand like say king queen off right say the you know mp raises and we're three betting king queen off from the cutoff 50% of the time like this is a decision that's going to be driven based on your previous experience with king queen off so if you three bet it the last time and you got stacked you're not going to three bet it the next time right and then if you win a big pot you are going to continue three betting it and just by the very nature of us being driven by emotions means we are not balanced we are not able to be really random and so it ca- it's caused a lot of harm in the suffering world in a harm and suffering in the poker world and to be honest I- i'm with you in the sense that like it gives this illusion of mastery and that in and of itself is enticing and alluring, but it's made the games good for like the last five years. The games are still fucking good because people have bought into this dogmatic belief in, in you know, GTO, Game Theory Optimal, that just isn't based in reality. And like something that, that you know, this illusion of balance, for instance, and live, live cash games. So many times I've faced a river decision and I'm like, I've got the perfect bluff combo. I, I ought to be bluffing with this hand. And then like a voice in the back of my head says, this fucker is never folding. Right. Like, why are you doing this? And yeah, then yeah, I yeah. do it. And then he like snaps me off. And then like that voice is like, what the fuck is your deal? Yeah. What is your problem? Like you knew he's snapping it off. Why are you like, you're, you're torching money just for this illusion of feeling good about yourself that you're balanced in these spots. Like this is right. so stupid. Right. So like, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the GTO train. And also like, there's just this misunderstanding that GTO is the optimal way to play in specific situations when there are data points that can be node locked that will Pio will give you a separate answer that is actually optimal for this situation. But like we're inputting variables. We don't even know whether they're real or not. We don't know if they're based that's in reality. That's, that's the huge part of the problem I think is, is, you need to assign you need to assign accurate ranges for people and people are, are not doing that right and in order to do that you have to be good at poker already but i will say this i think that i think that the guys that have that do use gto correctly which is probably like 10 in my, in the poker in in the mtt world i think it's like 10 fucking guys um i think that they incinerate i think that they're very fucking good and i think also my brain does not work with the gto shit or studying like my brain other people's do. And so I'm not trying to say that 
it's it's not a viable thing if done correctly. I think it is. I think actually a lot of good can and learning can come out of it, but it, it's for such a select few because I think there's so much misapplication going on. Um, and also it shouldn't be used in a ton of, of different games and there's better ways to learn across the board. But I am I am open-minded to it being beneficial if done properly. That's my theory. It's just hard to do it properly. And like the benefit of doing it properly, right? The benefit of doing it properly and just getting a baseline behavior is that you can recognize when people are deviating from baseline. And when they deviate from baseline, then you use, you employ your exploitative strategy to exploit that. What's kind of interesting and ironic is that the great players intuitively navigate those situations very, very well anyway, because they can intuitively see that, you know, when villain, when we check back turn and villain bets river at half pot, that like, that is a range where they bet 75% with their value, um, or they bet 75% plus, And then like 50% is just a section of the range that ought to be called because it's not as value heavy, or maybe they don't value bet as thin, but like basically good players can navigate these situations already naturally on their own. So it's not ultra beneficial, but you know, if you're Jason Kuhn and you're battling in like the ultra high rollers of guys who will be making close to optimal theoretical decisions regularly, then it benefits you to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and why it's a thing. And you know, your counter strategy, but like, no, but who runs across these freaking animals in the wild? Like almost nobody. Very rarely. Yeah, very rarely. Yeah, like, like I'm thinking of, like, Ike. Like, I'm thinking of Ike, like, someone that, like, that, that plays without, like, their emotion. It's probably, like, Ike and, like, a few other guys. And it, it does make them tough. It makes them scary to play against because, like, their fear doesn't – fear generally doesn't come into their game. Is, 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 and that's, like, that's, like, the nuts. Like, when you got something like that, then I'm fucking scared. For the first, like, for the first time, I'm fucking scared. Of, like, holy fuck, this guy – he was just relentlessly fucking through it. I mean, he doesn't give a fuck that it didn't work the past three times. Like he's just, um, and I, I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it is just like experience. Like if you're, if you're like newish to poker and trying to figure shit out and like, well, and, and, and they're, they're hearing you talk about, well, if you're a great player and they're not great players, I would say just like, you know, you're not, no, none of us got good overnight and, and sheer experience is really going to do a lot for you amongst other things. But yeah. Yeah, sheer experience and just finding people who know more than you and yes. having conversations with them. Like those are nice. those are things that can like expedite the growth and learning process. Yeah, that's I, I literally would say the same the same exact thing. I think that's I think that's been the most beneficial thing for me is talking to other people about hands. That's for me, that's what works. So you gotta figure out what works for you and not blindly listen to, to something else. So if someone something someone's saying is not working for you, you gotta fucking you know, you can't you can't just blindly listen. It doesn't that doesn't work out well. Yeah, and I love what you said there about Ike and that, you know, the emotions don't come into play, right? And this is like the good players are typically, I'll say this, my pre-flop game in cash games has been absolute shit for like the first 10 or 12 years of my career. Where I thrived was deeper in the decision tree, um, gathering information and using that information in a way where my opponents don't even really know what's what they're doing um, and just exploiting their behavior. And like, when you're dealing with somebody who isn't driven by emotions, it's really hard because you know that as you get deeper into the decision tree, 
they're not going to be making emotional decisions in these spots that you count on players making emotional decisions you can exploit. And that is a little scary when it's like, man, this guy's going to see everything. Like, like if you make a mistake, if you do something and like, I've had this experience in cash where playing against a high level player, I make a mistake and I realize it. And all I'm thinking in my head is I really hope he doesn't fucking see it. And like hesitation, hesitation, fucking sees it and i'm like god damn it like i knew it was there for him to see it and he just saw it and people that don't see that you know they're a lot easier to play against like when you make an exploitative play by the very nature of it they can exploit it in a way and if they don't see that you get the money right and they they, they don't yeah and it's just they they just don't you know right no or no one th- very few people are thinking like that online that are that are going to exploit you. And, but yet it's everyone's number one fear. I feel like everyone's worried about getting exploited, but no one's fucking, no one's really doing it. Yeah. The reality is they're probably getting exploited. They just don't even realize that it's happening to them. Um, it's not a, it's not a, it's a, such a silly fear to be afraid of being exploited because exploitability in poker is like where the money is. You have to exploit people. And by the nature, like I just said, you're taking a risk when you're, exploiting somebody that they will figure out the solution to this problem. And you just have to bank on the fact that most human beings are not able to figure out the problem in real time. Right. And the, the bit that you said about like, it's, it's a a silly fear. Like I, I totally agree. And I still have it a bit. Like I, like I still have, like I have way, way less than most people that are playing in the games that I'm playing, like way less, like, um, but I still have a little bit of it. And I would say like, the thing that has made me do well at poker is just trying to eradicate all fears. That's like, that's like, it. if I had to put it in like a sentence, like that's it. And I do that. I do that in a, a variety of different ways, but just trying to eradicate all fears. Well, I just feel like we'll take me to the promised land. And how do you do I that? that how do you go about doing that systematically? So it's, it's the number one thing that I would point to is hypnotherapy. I'm like the I'm like the biggest like born again Christian preacher of of fucking of hypnotherapy. You know, you get someone that's like so all about this one thing that this is like my one thing. Um, just because from from my experience and from what I how seen, did you find hypnotherapy? So I, I I heard about this guy Elliot Rowe um, probably eight ten years ago. Um, he, he was like marketing and posting on forums or something like that, and I, it just seemed interesting to me. So I did a few sessions with him. And it, nothing really struck me as great or whatever. Like it was cool. And like, I liked him, but nothing about it really did a whole lot for me. Um, or so I thought, and I just don't think I was, I just don't think I was ready at the time. I don't think my consciousness was ready at the time to, to go what I need, what I eventually had to go through. Then a buddy of mine who was a very fucking smart guy, a very talented poker player, good looking, charismatic, like had everything but was kind of a life fuck up. And he, he's kind of one of these guys that you just always assumed would be a fuck up for the rest of his life. Like couldn't get it together with money, just whatever, a fuck up. I saw him after not seeing him for like a year or two. And he had like completely changed. I could palpably feel his energy being so fucking different. And I was like, what? I've never seen anyone to this day. I've never seen anyone change as much, much as him. And I'm like, what in the fuck did you do, bro? Like what happened? And he's like, Elliot, man, Elliot fucking, he changed my life. And, uh, it was, and then I was like, whatever this kid's doing, I need to fucking do. So I, this is like three years ago. And I started working directly actually with Elliot. Um, and I'm not saying that Elliot's don't like this guy's like Jesus or something like that. I think if you get any good hypnotherapist, you're going to do, do well. 
Um, and I, and I, it started off kind of slow. Um, and I went through some really, really difficult things, um, that hypnotherapy allowed me to go through things that I had been avoiding my whole life. Um, and it just like, it, it, it made me change as a person. Um, and so now still, you know, I'll go into, I'll go into a session and, and, you know, review how I played on Sunday and review anything that like came up that I felt was, you know, not great. And and he's great at like spotting shit that like seems like something's off. And then we'll, we'll we'll go into it. We'll go into, you know, where is that coming from and try to eradicate it. So Elliot Rowe, previous uh, Chasing Poker Greatness guest, I've I've been on his podcast as well. He's a, you know, genuine, genuinely great dude, extremely intelligent. Tell me, you, you mentioned something that piqued my curiosity, that your friend's energy had palpably changed is there any way that you could uh explain what you mean by that because this is a thing that is very interesting to me this concept of energy i wonder if i can it's a good question let me think about that definitely like in a a very easy way to, to describe would be like okay so he he was there was no more victim mentality in him and he was very positive but being around him okay i have people in my life close to me in my life that that are drainers a, a, a draining sucking force and, and and i've asked other people and they can describe similar experiences with these people this guy turned into the opposite of that so energetically i would say it just when you're around someone like that it just feels like vast expansive you're not like you you feel um and more energized and you, I guess it's everything just feels like a little bit easier and it's not, it's nothing about it is cringy. And it's, 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 I think, yeah. And it just, it just, everything seems to like flow better when you're in the presence of someone like that. So, so that's what it is. And maybe, and maybe I could sense it in him too. So I'm not sure what it is, if it was really coming from me or him, but I, I could sense in him that he felt that way or, or whatever. Yeah. No, it's, it's a tangible thing that I've experienced in my life too. Just being around happy spirits and recognizing that when you're in the presence with them, you feel better about yourself. Like you just feel happier and more energetic and you know, you just smile a little bit more. It's, it's a weird part of the human experience that I think is fairly, you know, unexplainable. I don't know that there is a rational explanation for it, but I will say that like, I'm getting the sense that this intuitive nature, your ability to sense energy is something that works well for you at the poker table um yeah i um i'm cautious of being crazy right because like i i had my, my brother is like off the deep end like bipolar like bipolar one like really he just he had a psychotic he had a psychotic break and just went off the deep end and like really he's just not right in my opinion um mark first of all i just want to say before before you carry on like you know this for me this is a safe space right where we're just we're speaking the truth and what we really believe in. And I have spoken on spirituality, maybe not exactly on this show, but on another podcast that I just went on and my kind of out there beliefs on spirituality. So like, yeah, there's no judgment, no judgment for me. I can't promise about the audience, but whatever, yeah. if they, if they know, do it, I, they do it. I appreciate that. And also too, I, and I, I, I didn't feel any at all. Like just, so that you know, that's like good. It's, it's, it's good that you're doing this because I, I felt zero judgment. And also too, when, you messaged me to be on the, the podcast. It was a fuck. I just responded with that's so fucking weird because, and I was telling my buddy Paul this, I, I was looking at Twitter 
and I saw you on my feed and I didn't really know who you were. And I just said, I would, for whatever reason, I would like to be on this guy's show. And literally I'm pretty sure it was like at that exact moment. Um, because I, I had went back and I hadn't seen the message till like 20 minutes after. And it was in my mind about 20 minutes before I had thought that. So like, it seemed like you were messaging me at that very, like that's, that shit happens to me all the time. And it's like, there's something going on there. And like, and, and if we think that it's not like, we're, you know, it's just, it's, it just, in my mind, it fucking has to be. And I've read, I've watched a lot of documentaries about this shit and they, I have known nothing about science and I can't claim to, but they say that it's backed up by certain forms of science and shit like that, which I, I believe, why not? Um, There's an yeah. episode of this show with a, a good friend of mine, uh, it's Olympic gold medalist, Adam Creek. And we talked about how the body has intelligence that the brain will never understand or the brain will never know. And this comes up, it manifests in a coffee shop, right? You're sitting there working on your computer and you just feel somebody's looking at you and you look up and they are looking at you, right? Or how many times has somebody called you, called your phone or how many times have you called somebody out of the blue and they answer it and their first words out of their mouth is, that's so weird. I was just thinking about you. Like that is something that is not explainable but it does happen. And so to dismiss it as it not being a thing, I think is quite silly because there's just so many instances of this happening in all of our life and human experience. Right. Totally. I, I totally, I totally agree with you. And, and um, I think, I, I think since my brother um, kind of went off the deep end crazy and, and that's kind of in my mind, I always tried to, I, and I, I don't want to come off crosses like, like crazy or something like that. So I always tried to kind of like look at everything a little bit more rationally and if i'm having like manic thoughts or like very like expansive big thoughts to like kind of check myself and i'm like is this actually reality or am i just like fucking like like high on like serotonin like which which is it so i try to check myself with it but the reason why i was saying that is you said that me being able to read people's energy helped me in poker and i am have been toying with the the theory in my head um and this is probably going to open me up to sound quite crazy is that I feel like when I'm playing, I can connect with people's emotions that I can like feel their emotions. Now I'm very open to being wrong about this because I think it could be simply just my, me having a lot of experience and knowing how people react and kind of like jumping to conclusions. And those conclusions happen to being right often, but I don't really, if I had to put my money on it one way or the other, I would say that I actually can emotionally connect to people when we're playing at the same table online and fucking feel shit. Um, and maybe it's not that crazy to see because it's really just like intuition, but I, I can like, like, I have like lots of like, of like actual experiences where I feel like it's happened. And I felt like completely confirmed that I was like, right. And that I could like feel fear in someone or something like that, or feel strength in someone. Yeah. I mean, it's the intuitive, the intuitive alerts that you get at the poker table are somewhat unexplainable, but I actually agree with you that when I'm playing live poker, here's the thing that happens. I'm playing live poker. This one player has been tight for like three hours. They're just kind of fucking around, just like invisible. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I get involved in a pot with them with a marginal hand. And it's like all indications say this dude is not messing around because of how they've been acting this whole time. But I can just feel that they're getting out of line. I can just feel that they're about to punt off their stack. I can't explain it. And it kind of looks like magic. It kind of feels like magic. Sometimes it's like, I just know you're about to go off like a rocket. I don't know why I know that, but I just know you're about to. And then it happens. 
and I'm right. And like, I've had too much success playing this game in an intuitive way my whole career to discount these feelings as not being real. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. And online, it's the same. I can, you know, I can see, I feel like I can see through the computer sometimes at the person who's making this decision and know exactly what they're thinking and exactly what they're feeling and exactly what they're going to do before they do it. And then they do it and it's like, boom, gotcha. And, and I, again, it could just be that we're really good problem solvers um, and that we're able to think like fish better than the average person. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is in the virtual space because that is like, you know, super unknown territory, at least in a physical setting of live poker. Like there is science backing, you know, an aura, an electromagnetic pulse that emits from all of us in the same way that like you meet somebody in life. Have you, has this ever happened to you? You meet somebody and you, you realize immediately, this is not a good person. I feel like that. Yeah. I feel like that often for sure. Right. And every time I felt like that, I ignore that at my own peril because that intuition has always guided me in, in a correct way. So there's something about electromagnetic pulse aura our ability to kind of read the awareness and the intention of other people that I 100% believe, but cannot prove. I, right. but I, I trusted enough to put my money behind it at a booker table. Yeah. Yeah. So, so try. I, I couldn't agree more with what you said. And, and a lot of like the, um, the naysayers to, to anything would say, well, well, science can't prove it. But like a, a thing that like has been occurring recently, like we don't know anything really like, like science has not proven like what is beyond this universe. We don't know fucking shit. We don't know why we're here. We know, we know nothing. So, so, and science hasn't proven that, that what, what is, has science proven that like, you know, there is other universe. Like, so there's obviously unanswered questions. So if there's some unanswered questions and then why, like we should probably be questioning more than we are, you know, so that, I just think it's just like a, a bad way to, it's just like a not smart way to think. Yeah. You, you got to check out that interview that I did with Adam Creek because he doesn't know anything about poker. Like he literally knows his head from a hole in the ground, but he's a high performance coach, Olympic gold medalist. So like, he's all about neuroscience and all of these things. And he said in our conversation, I was explaining to him like the difference between analytical and intuitive players. And like, he got it immediately, right? The nail in the head. He said, well, if you look at the spectrum of intelligence and how people are constructed, some people are going to be on this side where they're like ultra intuitive and they go with their feelings and they trust their feelings and that's how they are. And on this side is like kind of like the autism, strictly analytical person that is only using their analysis and the analytical part of their mind. And if these two people get into an argument on the internet about which strategy is better, which one's going to win? This dude that's acting on forces he doesn't fully understand or this guy that can fucking explain every single detail of what they're doing. Like the analytical player will beat the shit out of the intuitive player 10 times out of 10 on the internet in an argument. But that doesn't mean that they're better poker players or that they know more. They're just able to express their analysis in a logical way that makes sense and can win an argument. Wow, that is that is like a mind blowing thing that, that that you just said. That's that's great. That is cr- so crazy to me. I never I never thought about that, and I feel like that too. I feel like I can't explain shit. Like when I'm talking to people, I'm like, I don't know, like I don't know, dude. I can't really explain 
whatever. That's that's that that's amazing. It's interesting that you said that he he knows nothing about poker, obviously, but he can he can understand it. Elliot, Elliot, too, the same way. Like Elliot sucks at poker, and he's the nut. Like he's the stone fucking nuts. Whole randomly say something to me. I'm like, it's so crazy how much you understand about poker, not being a fu- fucking fish. Like it's it's bizarre to me, but it, but it also kind of makes sense. Like I, I get it. Like everything is like a metaphor to everything else. Yeah, like as soon, when he said that, like he didn't even. I mean, it just blew my mind. I was like, holy fuck, that is like the most intelligent way to describe this argument that I've ever heard. And I've never heard anybody think about it that way. All I've ever heard is like, field players are shit and uh, don't be a field player, which to me, like that, I find that particularly insulting because I go with my gut almost 100% of the time and how I feel based on a situation. And that has led me to success. And it's like, that minimization of like the, the feel aspect of being a poker player. This is another GTO problem, by the way. You get intuitive guys, players who arrive at the correct conclusions intuitively, who try to use GTO as their mode to improve and get good at poker when they're naturally not analytical, they're just going to fucking suck. And they're at, at being GTO. Like it's going to hinder their progress because they're not tapping into their strength. Right, hundred percent. Yeah, it's happened to me in in, in different ways. Not it was, this was before GTO happened, but I remember people would would make up these like rules about certain things. Like in, in MTT, you can't raise fold with like under twenty big blinds. And like, so I started. That, so I was like, I got I had an insecure moment. I was like, fuck, man. Like I really don't know my shit. Like I'm not like I don't know anything. And I was l- listening to someone that was like not a good poker player either. I don't know why, but it was my own insecurity. So I started listening to this kid, and for like a year, I played bad. And then I realized, I'm like, why the fuck? Like, 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 then, then I, I, for whatever reason, cracked out of it and, and got confident again. And, and then realized that, like, I'm never going to fucking do that again. Like, I'm never going to fucking subscribe to someone else's theories about shit uh, if I don't actually believe it. And I think so much of, so much of, of being great at anything like, com- does come down to, like, confidence, for sure. Yeah, just being able to execute and trust yourself to make the right decisions and your ability to problem solve. Like this is everything in poker to me. And like, if I've ever tried to change or imitate somebody else, it's always proven disastrous because that's not where I thrive and that's not how I thrive. So like to the listener right now, understand how you're constructed as a human being. Maybe you're on the analytical side and GTO can do wonders for you. Understanding the baseline strategy and how to deviate, or maybe you're on the intuitive side and that's the part that, you know, you need to go with and use to find success in your poker career. And from what it sounds like with you, tapping into your intuitive side has proven successful for years and years and years straight from the get-go, right? Yeah, and I, I would say like this year more than anything, it was weird, it's weird because I've been playing poker for like 15 years and and it, for the past, I would say like from like 2012 to 2019, I didn't really take it very seriously at all. Like there was no like real like drive or anything. It was just like kind of in the background of my life and like, yeah, I had success at one point. Sorry, I had success at one point in my life, uh, in my life from poker, and I was just kind of like, you know, set up financially well because I did good at poker, and that was kind of it. And then this year, I had a, a, a financial goal in poker, and I, I started working on poker with Elliot because I hadn't really worked on poker with Elliot. It was more like interpersonal stuff, relationship issues, uh, shit like that. And so, I, I, I having the, the having a goal, by the way, is like the fucking complete nuts. Like I never really realized that until recent years uh having a goal and having something to to aim for is complete shit Uh, what's the goal what was your goal Uh, my goal was 500 i I just play sundays 
and my my goal was uh 500k profit uh, yeah 500k profit and i hit that by uh i think june june or something like that and and i more and i more than doubled it which which to me at the time 500 felt very 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 tough to do i didn't i think that was, that was like a very lofty goal and then i changed my goal to 1.5 million four months ago or something like that and well, how many tournaments do you play on a sunday like what does that schedule look like I play, and the thing is, I'm also like like not playing the highest stakes. Like I'm not playing like five Ks and ten Ks often. Um, I did do well in a ten K recently, but I, I very rarely play them. I would say I play now. I've I've really I've gotten I've shifted into a new phase in my poker life, and I play very fewer tables than I used to, which is very new and different for me. This is like the past two months. So I would say on a Sunday I play. 35 tournaments ish something like that but that's kind of a guess i'm i'm not good at numbers i don't know it could be 60 i'm I'm not sure that is uh low volume and it's it's interesting to me because another person that plays low volume that is like a renowned crusher darren elias he came on the podcast him and i had a conversation and he spoke specifically about playing low volume few tournaments at a time and like his success is kind of undeniable in the poker world right he doesn't even I don't think that Darren I'm I'm boys with Darren. I don't think Darren even knows what he is. Like Darren is a beast and I don't th- I don't think that he really knows. Like I don't think that he could like articulate it or is even aware of that like how he is. How he's like such a savage and like he's like such, he's a massive intuitive savage, you know, but I don't think he knows that really. But yes, he's, he, he's a he is he shreds. Darren is a complete shredder. The uh the way he described himself was Whatever the opposite of ADD is, that's what he is. Just the, he has the ability to just focus on one thing for like an infinitely an infinite amount of time. Um, whereas most people get distracted and bounce around. Like he goes to play a live tournament, like there's no phone. He's like fully focused and engaged and in the moment for every single decision throughout the entire tournament. Yeah, and that I think that says it right there. And like that's the thing that I, I would harp on to you know, guys that I back or whatever, they'd be like watching football in the background. I'm like, what? Like, 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 I think Phil Ivey said something about this. Like, it's very important to be like present. And that's like, in my mind, the number one thing that, that like people, I'm people, I'm taking notes. I'm, I'm, I've been playing poker for a living for 16 years. I'm still taking notes, watching every hand, taking fucking notes on ignition when it's player numbers and it changes. Like I'm, I'm, I'm there. Like, so, so that, it requires that level of focus. Yeah. Great. And, and Darren saying that he can do that, it just makes so much fucking sense to me because he's just present. You know, we're all, I think we're all great on some level underneath it all. And if we can just be there with the presence, then it'll come out. This is a great plug for Jason Sue's Poker with Presence book, by the way. <laughs> this is uh, just being present in the moment while you're making all of your decisions. And of course, you know, it's in my training videos, one of the things that like when I was making these and not really paying attention to how other people are doing them, but a hallmark of what I was doing was when I was not in a hand, I was commenting and speculating on hands that were going on and trying to find out how players were playing their ranges um, in specific spots using specific patterns. And like on ignition, it's all anonymous, right? We don't know when one note is going to prove to be invaluable or just paying attention to this one spot can, you know, reap dividends. But it does happen and it happens fairly regularly. And like, this is how, this is how you gain an edge. Like when you understand how somebody's constructing their value range on the river and then they deviate from that, well, okay. Now we have a point to where we can call somebody light, right? Or we can 
deviate from what our normal behavior would be. So like just paying attention in hands that you're not in so valuable to understanding what your opponents are doing strategically and then taking advantage of that. Yeah, totally. Here's great point. Here's the GTO. Like, here's the thing that really, that bugs me when somebody described GTO like this to me, that whenever I make a decision, it makes me indifferent to what my opponent does. And like when somebody described it to me in that way, I thought, this is fucking stupid. Why would I want to make a decision where I'm indifferent to what my opponent does? Like this seems like the silliest way to go about playing cards that I could ever imagine because it's like you're not even using the skill gap. You're not even using the edge to like take advantage of their tendencies. And that's crazy to me. Yeah, and, and, and I, had, I had guys that were doing this in, like, the, the big 55 on stars. I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, why? Like, I, the specific thing, what happened was uh, the, the board paired on the turn, and he was the, he had defended – this happens a lot. Uh, he defended the big blind, and it was, like, came, like, 10, 8, 6. And he, like, check called a flop with an 8. And then the turn came in 8, and he led. And I said, why are you leading? Like, 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 just don't, don't take this hand, like in like for, for a single thing. It's just more the theory behind it. Yeah. And he, and he couldn't answer the question. Like he could not answer. He's like, because you're supposed to like, like, that's like essentially what he said. He had nothing to fucking say. So like, so if you're, if you, if you find yourself not having the answers to something, it's, there's probably a fucking, a, a big fucking issue, issue there. And you're just doing it because to do it, you know, copy and paste. Yeah, just doing it to do it. I mean, at least if there's a rationale behind it, then it's justifiable, right? Like maybe you're leading ace nine there and ace seven and like you have a strategy where like you have more eights in range than villains. So like it's a good card for you to go ahead and start leading. But like when you're doing it just to do it, anything you do just to do and when you, you know, dive a little deeper and you have no explanation, there's a fucking problem. That's an area that, that's an area that you need to explore and understand why you're taking the action that you're taking. Right. You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots that merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, He told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. End quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, you'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com.
So I want to segue segue to the lightning round. And these are just some sort of more standard questions that I ask my guests. Don't feel the need to uh, ask to answer super quickly. But um, the first question is, when you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Just being at my desk and like fucking, I'm, I, I like yell a lot on Sundays. And I'm like, like, I'm saying absurd shit. Like, I'm like, suck my fucking dick, like crazy <laughs> shit. Like, like, fuck you. Like, like what I, I'm just like yelling. And then I, I, I had a, this, this year I had a, a, it was like my first uh, big score this year at 150, 50K score. And I just like got out of my chair and I was like, <laughs> like this. And I was like, so fucking pumped. And I felt like all of like the work that I had put in that year, like kind of like came to a head. And I was like, I was just like elated. And this is, I know it's a lightning round, but I want to add my thoughts here too, is I think it's something that players don't do often enough. I see my students falling into this trap of not celebrating the wins and only ruminating and thinking about the losses or the hands that maybe they could have played better. And I think there's a real value in feeling the joy when you own somebody, the joy when you make a soul wreath, right? Like the joy when you you know, win a 400 big blind pot online. Like you can celebrate that. Like it's okay. That's the emotion. Emotions are meant to be felt. So why not experience the positive emotions um, instead of just, you know, discounting them and then ruminating on the negative emotions? Totally. I think like being your own cheerleader and I've never even thought about it. And I've never said that term in my entire life, but like, I realized that's what I am. Cause I'm like, I'm like talking to myself. I'm like, you can fucking do this. Like that's the shit. Like that, that's helped me a lot. I didn't used to be like that. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're much more fragile. You're much less resilient when the shit doesn't go your way. Right. Right. And that's the whole point of this journey is like, how do we make ourselves resilient when things don't go our way? Because the more resilient the person, the faster they can recover, the more successful they'll ultimately be playing this game. Yeah. You're so fucking right. That's a great statement. And when you think about pain in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Um, uh, hunting. I, I used to have this. I used to have this thing for years that that was uh, that was. I, I guess it's like self hatred or, or or something. Self flagellation. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard that word actually. It's but. like a. It's so. Here's how it manifested in my career early on. It was I'd be playing a session. I would be winning. Say I'm winning like three k or whatever playing cash, and in my mind, what I'm thinking about are. $400 in potential mistakes that I've met, made over the course of five hours. I'm not thinking about the positive. I'm only try, torturing myself and saying, what the fuck is wrong with you? You should be up 3,400. Like right. if you're a good poker player, you'd be up 3,400. What are right. you doing? Um, that was, that's sort of, you know, self-flagellation. It's just like yeah. being your, being that teacher in your life that just beats you down to a pulp. Uh, that's how I treated myself internally for a number of years. Yeah, me too. And I can't say that it's completely gone because I know I, I feel like I made a few big mistakes this weekend. And I, I feel I feel kind of uh, shitty about it, to be honest. But it's like massively changed for sure. Like, and it's weird. Once I started like, not really feeling that feeling of like, fuck, I punted, fuck, I fucking hate myself. I don't punt anymore. Like it just doesn't. Ha- it's fucking weird. Like it's weird how like, I start thinking that way. And then it just goes away. It's like, the criticism really was fucking me up. Yeah, for sure. We do a lot of damage to ourselves, man. This is what I was saying. Like, I don't know if it was the pre-call or at the beginning of this conversation. Like, 
coming up in this poker world, we just have to figure these things out. We have to solve these problems on our own. This whole mental and emotional side of the game that was rarely talked about when we were coming up. And like, man, it's, it's a hard thing. And I wish that there were more folks around when I was 22 years old that could have helped me navigate in a way that wasn't, didn't cause me as much suffering as it did. So uh, next question, if you could gift all poker players one book to read, doesn't even have to be about poker, what would it be and why? It definitely wouldn't be a poker book, for sure. I would say, I would say I, I, that's what I know for sure. I know, it wouldn't be, I know it wouldn't be a poker book. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 think, I, my, I think my life changed a lot when I read one of Eckhart Tolle's book, books, uh, but, but, uh, which, was, which was A New Earth, which was like the, the, the second to A Power of Now, which is obviously massively popular and it, and it, and it changed my world in some way that I can't quite describe. Um, but I'm a firm believer that like everyone for different people, different things. And just because something gave me a great experience that it's not going to give someone else a great experience. So that's my, that's my answer to the question. Like there is no universal one fits all at, at all. I don't believe in that at all. You know, there's another person that recommended new earth on the podcast. Any guesses as to which guest may have done so new earth. Uh, um, hopefully it was Galfon. I'm like the biggest Galfon fanboy of all time. I just think he's like the nut human, and I, I, he doesn't know me at all whatsoever. I'm just like I'm, he's like the one person that I'm a fan of in poker. Like, yeah, like, I I was a run at once coach specifically because of Phil Galfond. No other reason besides that. And um, the the answer though is Jungle Man. Uh, Dan wow. Dan he's, Cates he's recommended he Jungle? recommended the same New Earth from Eckhart Tolle. Wow. Well, he, he is, a, I, I've played with him a few times, even though we don't play similar games. And I felt like, I feel like sometimes you can feel someone's poker beast and like, I felt it. And it's like fucking fierce. Like Darren, it's like a fierce, alti, fierce. Like I, I could feel his, his was deep, man. It's a presence. I mean, you, like we were talking about reading energy. It's certainly a tangible thing. And I have felt it too. And the one person that comes to mind feeling that presence was really the first time I ever played with Garrett Adelstein. It was like, this guy, who is this guy? Like he was just a force at the table that like I felt before he put money in the pot, before I saw what he was doing, it was like, there's something about this guy that is tangible and I can feel. And I've actually felt it with players who I don't even know who the hell they were. They just showed up at the table and they're playing. And I'm like, fuck, that is a formidable opponent sitting across the table for me. I don't know why. I don't know who they are, but this is a person that like, you don't want to fuck with this person because they're <laughs> they're powerful. Yeah, I can totally relate. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on their way to the casino or on the way to you know their office to play online poker. What would the billboard say? I think just tr- trust in yourself. I don't, I don't. It's just not great. It's just not possible to be great if you don't. I love it. I mean, I hundred percent agree. Trust in yourself. Have faith. Have faith in your poker ability even when people on the internet are saying you're stupid, even when people on the internet disagree passionately with things that you're doing, if you feel like you're making the right decision, uh, this is where the edge is found, first of all, by dissenting uh, against the collective opinions. And you just have to have faith to pull the trigger and fucking get in there. And like that, that confidence is really what separates the crushers from the average players is like, I think the crushers don't care about what people think of them. They just want to do what they think is awesome. And sometimes that means 
you look like an idiot. <laughs> Sometimes it blows up in your face. You're like Wiley e. Coyote. Um, yeah. But then other times it allows you to do things that hardly any other human being in the world would be able to do. And there's such a deep sense of pride when you pull something like that off. Yeah, totally. I think it's very important to always understand that if someone is giving hate towards you or you know saying that you're not good at something, that it's it, that can never be coming from a strong place in that person. Like it's always coming from a place of weakness. So like, fu- like fuck it. And I, I and me personally, I feel like I, I'm doing great at tournaments, and I'm I think I'm one of the best that's playing. And I think most people that that play against me, or a lot of people that play against me, would say that I'm that think that I'm quite bad. Is is that's my guess. And and I would I would I as much as I say I wouldn't have it done any other way. I, I don't think that's totally true because I think part of me wants people to like recognize me. But it is very advantageous for people to think that you're bad for sure. Yeah, Galfond said something similar on Twitter the other day about Phil Hellmuth um, in that tweet, which ironically uh, in the Galfond interview uh, came up in our conversation. I'm the one that originally mentioned to him when Kevin Rabichow limped a button in a tournament and me and one of my students were like breaking this hand down. I didn't even know who Kevin Rabichow was, right? It was like villain limps on the button. He wasn't even specifically important to the hand, but I was like, let's see who this guy is. And I'm assuming like some fish, right? Like who limps the button? It's Kevin Rabichow. My student was like, oh, he's a crusher. He's my favorite run at once coach. Like he's amazing. And so it was like, when somebody's doing something you don't understand or that you even disagree with heavily, but you know, they're not just clicking buttons shouldn't that be a sign that they know something you don't know and that you may need to investigate what it is they know that you don't know? Right. It's crazy. I know, I know that, that, actually, it, it, that actually irritates me a lot. And I, I think I'm coming to terms with that. Like, it's just sometimes people aren't ready. and Like their consciousness isn't ready to change or something like that. And so they won't see it. They won't see it. They won't see it. And then all of a sudden they will see it. Because that's how it has been for me. And so. that's what makes the game of poker profitable. If they saw it immediately, maybe it wouldn't be as profitable as it is but uh, they don't. And so, you know, for sure, you're just, uh, you're ahead of your time. <laughs> Whenever they analyze these decisions, you know, using a supercomputer 20 years from now, I assume that you'll have your validation. It'll be proven. And if not, who fucking cares? You've been in this game for like 16 years as a crusher the whole time. So like, you're just getting lucky year after year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So two more questions. And, uh, We'll let you go. What's your current big goal? You mentioned goals before. What's your current big goal that you're working towards right now? Uh, it's very clear, actually. I uh, I take Adderall when I play poker on Sundays. Um, and it feels very, I don't know if ADD is the right word for me, but I, it feels like it makes it so much easier for me to play taking Adderall. And I think it's, I, I'm so fucking against it. And I'm, I, I just, I just hate everything about it. I'm sober from drinking for uh, nine years. And I'm so, I think I have a little bit of AA brainwashing into me that like all drugs are bad, which, which isn't, you know, the best, uh, the best thing to have in your head. Um, but I'm, I'm very hard trying to get off of it and I keep lowering my dose, but it's been, honestly, it's been a struggle. It's been very fucking hard. And and I'm, I'm honestly not sure if I can do it or not. Like I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded about like maybe on some level I need something or, or something so it's been a very interesting journey uh and i'm interested to see how it turns out but ho- hopefully i completely get off of it yeah i was taking adderall for maybe a year or so i was prescribed it by the doctor for add 
And my poker level went way up when I was taking Adderall. The, the downside to Adderall for me was like just understanding how it's working in the mind that there's this avalanche of dopamine that I'm getting hit with and that over time receptors will start turning off, which are going to make me more depressed um, because my body's not able to create enough dopamine. That was what scared me. And so that was maybe 2005 and I did it to 2006 and then I weaned myself off and stopped doing it. Have you explored anything else, um, any other nootropics like modafinil or any of the other ones? Um, yeah, the thing is I'm a drug addict. So like, yeah. so it's, it's dangerous. Like, I don't think that, well, so like, like, I just don't think that I'll ever, my, my theory on it is that like, I kind of won't be able to like, have any of it have i won't be able to to have any of it which kind of doesn't make sense and, and i think it's maybe a little bit brainwashing but uh i probably i probably maybe should explore that more but i, I think i'm a little bit closed-minded in, in in this regard and i either think that i'm either gonna fucking you know i can either take it or i can't so like that's why i i, I guess i kind of have explored but not with like great success or anything and let's be honest about this like these systems and processes you've set up for yourself are to protect yourself right they're to so that you live a healthy existence. Um, and, you know, they're there for a reason. So, like, I think that for some people, they can experiment and it's not going to turn into a full blown addiction. And then other people are just constructed in a different ways. So, like, you got to know, know yourself, know your body, and just trust that you know yourself well and that uh, do what you got to do. Yeah. Final question, man. I've really enjoyed this this conversation. I hope to do it again sometime in the near future. I feel like it's uh, kind of encountering a kindred spirit that's existing out in the, in the world. Final question is where can the chasing poker actually two questions, because I know that you're, you, you were doing a project with Melissa Burr. What's the project that you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Uh, not that really, to be honest. No. Uh, it, it was, I mean, I think I think at this stage of my life, I do have a lot of empathy and uh, a, a kid that I a guy that I back uh, nicknamed Moan, um, who's Christian and lived in Honduras forever and and, and donates money to uh, the children there and kind of like keeps his ear to what's going on over there. Uh, he kind of opened me up to that a little bit because I just it, it was just so it just struck my heart, you know, that he's like so compassionate and um, whatever, which I, I think, you know, I, I think at this point in my life, I have a lot of that. And there was other periods of time where I did not have a lot of that empathy and, and wanting to help people. So I don't really, like, I don't really judge people that are not there, if that makes sense, which I think is a great gift to me. Like I can see someone like that, it, that is not acting in great integrity and like kind of not judge them uh, at least uh, to a, a point. But to, to answer your question, uh, I would say that is a bit, but uh, anything, anything regarding kids for sure. But I'm, I feel kind of lost in the, in the charity space, to be honest. I don't, I don't know what to, to look at or what to trust or what, but I usually just kind of say yes. If people ask me to help, but literally because I like doing it, it's not like any like sort of like, I feel compelled to do this. I just, I like doing it. So I do it. Yeah. That's a good reason to do things because it makes your spirit feel happy, makes your spirit feel joy. And, I would say that like your level of emotional intelligence gives you the ability to have empathy. Like this is where, this is the intuitive path of poker. You're able to have empathy. You're able to put yourself in people's shoes, understand what they're feeling, what they're going through. And also this leads to being forgiving, understanding that 
life is not fucking black and white. There's a lot of gray. It is people are not binarily good or bad. There's a lot of in between. And if any of us are judged by our worst day, we're all going to be judged harshly. And that's just the truth. If that's the case, I'm the biggest piece of shit of all fucking time for a hundred percent. Yeah. That's such a great thing that you said about like people are not good or bad. It's so fucking true. And with all the shit that's going on, Trump, Biden, this, everyone, you know, everyone's so divided. It's, It's such a great thing to say. Thanks, man. And final question, where can the audience, where can the listener find you on the World Wide Web if they want to learn more about you? Um, <laughs> dip, 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 dip wrong on Twitter is my name on Twitter. Just DM me if you ever want to talk about anything. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, honestly, see, this, is, this is kind of embarrassing, but I feel like at some point in my life, I will be famous, but I, it could be like total delusion. But that's what, that's what I feel. But um, for whatever reason, and I, even though right now I have nothing fucking going on whatsoever other than I play poker. But Ironically, Jungle Man said the same thing. He wanted to be a public figure. He wanted to be somewhat yeah. famous in the world, which is really interesting because I look at you two guys as opposite ends of the spectrum as far as like the analytical and the intuitive. I think he trends more analytical, right? Like he's yeah. more, you know, on the like straight uh, analysis of everything. Yeah. And, um, he, and I can say that he's a fucking beast too. And like, so that's, you know. Yeah, he's an animal. Like, look, anyway, he's just, he's, he's a legend of the game. One of the best that's ever done it. He's just a straight up beast. As are you, sir. Thank you very much for your time and your energy. Keep crushing. And we'll have a conversation again when you, you know, start making your goal of getting more famous and putting more out there in the world that gets people to uh, pay attention and learn some stuff from you. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. This is the best podcast I've ever been on. You're doing a great job. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.